British Spy Stories, Season 1 Spy or Traitor? Episode 12 Gabrielle is up early. She drops down the back stairs of the hotel and out to the parking garage. She fires up the engine of her Z4 and noses it out into the early morning through the near-deserted streets of Nice and onto the auto route that takes her east. The glistening Mediterranean lays passive in the bright morning, the blue water turning to white as the sea hits the horizon. Her route to Switzerland hugs the coast until Genoa, then pushes inland, across the green pastureland of Italy's Piedmont region, before going over the Swiss border. Once on the autostrada, she gently squeezes the accelerator of the car, and the machine responds with a burst of impetus that speeds her through the September air. She had needed to know more background information before meeting Riverside, and researched him on Oberon in the early hours of the day to understand why he might want to meet her. He has been in six for only four years, transferring from the British Listening Service, GCHQ, and moving straight into a senior role in Delta Branch, the anti-terrorism specialists within MI6. He has been on a dozen operations as a field agent with Delta, all highly successful, and all within the European and Middle East territories. There was no mention of his real name on the record, which is normal for field operations, but there was a list of his aliases, and the passport numbers for each cover name that he uses, all of which she noted down. Gabby knows that there will be a few things not fully recorded on his profile. Where an agent works for eyes-only operations involving foreign governments, or senior figures in the British government, or for royalty, MI6 records become scant, even non-existent. It is par for the course. She knows that there are some of her own past operations that simply do not exist on her record, or anywhere on any database, or in any paper file. From the E27 highway, she tracks east again, up through the twisting roads of the Alpine slopes. She has booked a hotel for tonight, to allow her to get a feel for the town, and the meeting location. She turns off the main road, a mile out of Gestad, and onto a side road. Gabrielle drives around behind a tall bank of grass that blocks the view from the main highway, and opens one of the secure compartments in her suitcase. She pulls out two wigs, one blonde and one auburn, and tries on each. She feels that the redhead is a more fitting Gestad choice. She gets back on the road, and parks up outside the hotel, then checks in speaking only German and with sunglasses firmly in place. She asks for a room overlooking the main valley, as she also calculated the best sight lines last night to give her a view of the Alpina Hotel. She unlocks the door to the room and goes straight to the windows. The Alpina lies just below her, and the view from her room gives a vantage point across the whole of the back of the place. 
There is nothing more to do until nightfall, and she orders room service, then sleeps. Gabrielle had set her alarm for 1am. A gentle buzzing starts from the far distance in her consciousness and kicks through the layers of sleep in her head. She wakes suddenly, inhaling a gasp of air and looking around, then stops and breathes out as her mind catches up. She rolls out of bed, ties her hair up in a bun, dons black leggings and top, and covers her face with military night ops camouflage. Gabby opens up one of the windows of her room, locks a tech branch rope caliper to the window frame, presses a combination of buttons on her phone, and a nylon rope spews from the caliper to the ground below. She grabs the hand slide and skims silently down the cord, then presses a button on her phone again, and the cord re-reels into the caliper, ready for her return. She runs like the wind across the lawn of her hotel, then drops down to a high-walled roadway that delineates the two sets of grounds. Gabrielle clambers up the other side using footholds in the stones. She reaches the top and jumps over, then ducks down behind the hotel's private helicopter that is used to ferry guests to the mountain during the winter. She moves rapidly across the grass to an outside door that leads from the bar to the pool, picks the lock, slips inside, and runs along the bottom corridor. She hacked the hotel's security system last night as part of her prep work and knows the alarm code which she hammers into the flashing box behind the bar, just inside the thirty seconds she has, before the main alarm triggers. Gabby pulls out her phone and explores the floor plan of the Alpina that she'd loaded. She goes along the corridors, following the map, and arrives at the final turn before the reception area. She stops and stands by the corner, selects the camera app, and pulls the camera up and out of the main body of the adapted MI6 phone. The extension allows her to push the camera around the corner and see if the reception is still manned. A single night receptionist is there, but it is only a minute before the woman walks off to the office behind the desk to collect something. Gabby scurries to the desk and clicks the mouse next to the computer screen, then scans the guest list for any of Riverside's aliases. On the third page, she sees Dr. Michael Hill in room 251. It is one of his cover names. She darts away as the receptionist re-emerges from the office. The woman wonders for a second why the guest list is showing on the screen, then shrugs, closes the list, and resumes her work. Gabby finds a staircase, arrives at the second floor, and hurries to near room 251. She takes an adapted keycard from her pocket and pushes it into the lock of the room next door. She plugs her phone into the keycard and runs an app. The light on the door goes green after two seconds. She pulls out the card and noiselessly goes inside. Gabby knows there is a connecting door between this one and the next room. She unlocks it and gently pushes it open. 
there is no sign of anyone in 251. Riverside is either yet to arrive, or the room booking is a decoy. Either way, she continues with her plan, and takes listening devices out of her pocket, and fits them around the room. She tests that they're working, then goes back out to the corridor, down the stairs, and out of the Alpina via a side door. She runs across the grass to her own hotel. As she approaches her window, she calls the caliper from her phone, and the rope descends silently. Gabby latches her hand onto the cord, and it lifts her back up through the night. At 11am the next morning, she drives around to the front door of the Alpina Hotel, parks the Z4, and disappears inside. She passes the reception area from last night, along the corridors, and arrives at the bar that overlooks the pool and the gardens. She orders coffee and sits by the window with a good view of the area outside, as well as visibility of the various entrance doors from the body of the hotel. She waits, aware of every movement from every person both inside and outside. Civilians behave in certain predictable ways, whilst military and security service personnel all have an air about them. Imperceptible to the untrained eye, but a flashing neon sign to anyone who has been through the training camps for British forces or spies across the world. The barman is a young man, she estimates he's twenty-five. He constantly moves behind the bar, serving, clearing away, getting bottles out or sorting something when no customers are demanding his attention. She studies his movements. If he is an agent, undercover, then he is very good at it, as he isn't giving away any telltale signs. A woman sits three tables away from Gabby, reading a magazine. She is more nervous, Gabby can tell, but not to the extent that it sets off any warning signals. The hands of the golden glass clock behind the bar turn on through the hour. At five to twelve, a sandy-haired man appears from the main corridor, orders a coffee at the bar, and turns and walks directly towards her. Hello, Gabrielle he says. Thank you for coming. She is guarded, but not tense. He sits down opposite her. Straight to business, he says. I wanted to talk to you about Stranra. He watches for any movement in her facial muscles. I've heard it's lovely in the summer, she says. I know Mac was a friend of yours. She says nothing, but scans every element of his demeanour. I may have information about how he ended up. Well, we know how he ended up. What information? she says. How the location was leaked. Was it? says Gabby. Can we stop playing games? says Riverside. We're both experienced field ops people and know what happened. What do you want, Riverside? To help you find the mole. How would you do that? she says, looking directly at him, urging him to reveal more. I have evidence that someone inside the security services actively shared the Mac location with outsiders. 
What's your evidence? She says. Message traces from the night in question. It sounds similar to Gabby, to the Jim Cartwright data, she thinks. Could they have detected her mask environment on Fiona's computer? Or got to Jim? The only possibilities, her brain tells her, are that either Riverside is bluffing, or he is genuine and has acquired the data himself, or he has been fed false data without his knowledge. Did you bring it with you? He reaches inside his jacket and produces a hard drive, which he places between them on the table. She doesn't look at it, but her eyes are locked on his, as they will betray him, if anything will. Take it, he says. She waits for three seconds, but it seems like ten, then reaches for the drive and stows it in the side pocket of her jacket. Get back in touch when you've looked at it. He gets up to go. Why? she says as he stands. Why do this? I don't like leakers any more than you do. I read your file. You're willing to do almost anything in the field, but it's always justified. You're not some aimless outsider. I believe what you believe. He turns and walks back the way he came. As he reaches exactly halfway between Gabby and the doorway, the whole side window next to her explodes inwards. The ten-foot sheet of glass tumbles in pieces like a waterfall into the room. She scrambles out from the glass shower and runs for the door. Riverside has been caught in the blast and lies on the floor, but is moving. His hands are red from the impact of flying window fragments. From the far end of the pool in the garden, she can see a man in a gas mask advancing towards them, brandishing an Uzi. The woman with the magazine is lying still in a pool of her own blood. Gabby has no time to check her. She draws her Smith & Wesson and takes a position at the end of the bar. The guy with the Uzi is still advancing, walking hard with intent in his gait. She doesn't want to shoot him in public with civilian witnesses, so waits until he reaches the doorway. He stops and pushes the door wide. Put your gun down, she says. She can't see his eyes through the mask. I'm not asking twice. He is still and silent, then slowly starts to raise his weapon. She has no choice and fires her gun. It discharges into his chest. He is knocked backwards and falls through the doorframe. But he is not killed due to his bulletproof vest. It gives her enough time to run to where he lays prone on the floor, but she overestimated his injuries and he tries to grab her ankle as she stands there. She kicks her foot into his ribcage, his grip loosens and she jumps over him to the outside, then runs at full pace across the grassland. As she nears the hotel's helicopter, a second man in a gas mask appears from the undergrowth and gives chase. She swerves away, down the side of the hotel and back to the front entrance. Gabby presses her car key fob as she runs and it unlocks the Z4. She presses the ignition, skids on the gravel and out of the hotel gateway to the road beyond. She looks back and can see the men 
ripping the cover off the helicopter. One gets into the pilot's seat, and the other jumps in beside him. She steers the sports car out of the town and southeast towards the peaks. After two minutes, she hears the steady drumbeat of the helicopter's rotors behind her. She pushes the car faster, but at the next bend, her back wheels drift round and slip dangerously close to the sheer drop next to her. The helicopter is suddenly only fifty yards away. She pushes the car further upwards into the hills, and the road gets narrower and more twisting. The helicopter flies out in front of her, then turns and takes a low run straight for her. As it passes overhead, the injured man in the passenger seat leans out with his automatic weapon and sprays the car. Bullets rip into the passenger seat. The aircraft turns again and comes back for a second buzz. Another burst of gunfire disgorges from the gunman overhead, but he is wide this time and only creates pockets of dust on the ground around her vehicle. Gabrielle guides the Z4 along the road, taking the twists and turns in her stride. With no prior warning, the tarmac ends and the route becomes a dirt track. She knows that she is running out of time before the road reaches the top of the mountains and finally ends. The helicopter pilot has realised this too and spins out ahead of her again, looking for a landing place. Her car beats along the final straight, a narrow spine ridge that forms the highest land on the mountain. She can't see where the route goes as she accelerates towards what looks like a fence across her path. She slams on the brakes. The car spins in the dirt and ends up sideways against the end stop. The helicopter has failed to find a landing place, and the pilot brings it to hover thirty feet above her head. The passenger, gunman, leans out. The pilot dips the machine, and bullets spray again around her. She jumps out. The helicopter drops dangerously low, and the gunman runs down on a rope to reach the ground. The man holds his gun with two hands in front of her. The steady beat of the blades is only just above their heads, and a cloud of mud, branches and leaves spin between them, whipped up by the rotors. She releases one bullet that hits the target in his right leg. He fires a dozen rounds at her. As soon as his finger comes off the trigger, she runs at him, fires twice, once in the upper body, once into the left leg. He collapses where he stands. She pulls back her leg and kicks him in the face to knock him out. She aims up at the helicopter and releases three rounds. But the pilot has seen what happened and pulls the craft up and away out of her range. It circles once while he considers his options. Then he peels off to the north and away. She checks the unconscious man. He has no ID. She pulls off his gas mask but doesn't recognise him. Gabby is unhurt, but the car bodywork has half a dozen bullet holes in it. She jumps back in, pushes the accelerator, spins the car round in the dust, and speeds back down the trail.